the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. The climate fraud has impacted many areas of our society, education, government, transportation, energy, and civil liberties, just to name a few. We're told that we need to take immediate action to stop a catastrophe. Behind this, however, is not a concern for the environment. It's being used as a means to control the population and impose restrictions on our way of living. Huh, yeah, you're not kidding. And we're going to be impoverished with a lack of reliable energy and access to sufficient food supply. And so we will be easier to control because we'll be dependent so much on the government. Yes, it's definitely frightening to think that we could be coming to such a dire state of affairs. And then most people are supporting the climate change cause rather than speaking out against it. Huh, that's why we need climate change realists who aren't afraid to speak the truth. We have one on our show today. Guy Mitchell, who will be speaking with us about the fraudulent global warming hypothesis and how governments have been using the idea of human-induced climate change to bring us under a totalitarian regime. So, Mary Jean, can you please introduce Guy? For sure. So, Guy Mitchell is a member of Pi Tau Sigma, the International Honor Society for Mechanical Engineers, and was selected a Distinguished Engineering Fellow by the College of Engineering University of Alabama in 1995. His book, Global Warming, The Great Deception, The Triumph of Dollars over and Politics Over Science and Why You Should Care, explains what he believes to be the flawed claims of global warming caused by human activity. So welcome to the show, Guy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> That's great. Well, Guy, can you start out by talking about when and why did global warming become climate change? It just seemed like it sort of snuck in there and people were no longer calling it global warming. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, Tom. Um, in the initial publication uh, back in 2013 that was uh, <clears throat> written by a group of so-called citizen scientists, uh, the title of the work was Quantifying the scientific consensus about anthropogenic global warming. And the whole article termed the issue global warming, talked about global warming and what should be done about global warming. And the next day, President Barack Obama tweeted, 97% of the world's scientists believe that man has caused climate change. Now, I don't know whether that was intentional on the part of the U.S. president or whether that was just happenstance, but the term really changed from global warming to climate change about two or three years ago when none of the world's databases depicted any global warming. Oh, and yeah. That, uh, the, the, the proponents of the global warming hypothesis had to have something new to hang their hat on. And so all of a sudden it became not global warming, but more extreme weather events that were the result of climate change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I guess, in fact, if the extreme weather events are not increasing, they'll have to get off that too, eh? because I don't think the extreme weather really is increasing. Well, you're exactly right. Uh, Dr. Steve Coonan wrote a book called Unsettled. 
I think it was published a couple of three years ago. And he basically addressed all of the uh, issues that would underpin the claim of climate change with respect to empirical evidence like more droughts, uh, more severe tornadoes, rising sea levels, more floods, you know, uh, anything that that could be used as an observance of an extreme weather event to try to document climate change. And, and he proved in his book, using publicly available data, that there is no evidence, no empirical evidence to support the claim that We've had more severe weather, and 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 and, um, and and climate change is the cause of it. Mm. So, do you think it's observational bias? The fact that if a tornado hit Oklahoma a hundred years ago, it's a good chance nobody saw it. Whereas now, you got hundreds of people with cell phones. So, is that you think a major factor in all this? Well, I do. I, you know, I think the media has promoted the issue, the fraudulent global warming hypothesis to the point where many people take it as just a fait accompli. If you, if you read an article in, in a lot of the uh, publications today, they start off with the premise that man's caused climate change. It, it, it may say, due to climate change, you know, the, the, weather, the weather in Western Europe is hotter this year than it's ever been. <laughs> and neither yeah. of those uh, are are well documented based on historical facts. So it's it's kind of it's kind of leaked into the modern day lexicon as a uh, as a fait accompli, and and that's the insidious part of this whole process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet, of course, climate change is it's just are we causing dangerous climate change? You know, they almost never address that. They just, as you say, assume it. Well, that's the problem. You know, in my book, I really structure the book in two parts. The first part deals with the science surrounding the claim that man has caused global warming. And I uh, go through a process to um, explain the physics behind the concept of when a CO2 molecule in the atmosphere absorbs a 15 micron wavelength long wave infrared photon and demonstrate that the uh, process that really occurs is not what the UN IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, would uh, has proposed in all of its writings. And uh, so the 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 science is 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 I say fraudulent because if you look at the world's temperature databases, let's take for example for the troposphere, which is the first eight kilometers of the atmosphere. If you look at the data, which is publicly available, it's maintained by the University of Alabama Huntsville. It's on their website. You see the, the temperature of the troposphere cooled every year for the period 1979 through 1998, while the concentration in the atmosphere of CO2 increased by 20%. So Mm -hmm. that, in science, 
if one constructs a hypothesis that an increase in CO2 causes a warming of the troposphere, that the data directly contradicts and falsifies that. So the UN IPCC scientists had that information, and yet they've continued to promote the fraudulent hypothesis. Same thing is true of the NOAA float program, Argo float program that uh, samples the temperature of the ocean. Same thing is true for the, um, the NOAA land temperature database. It's called the Metropolitan Statistical Area Temperature Stations, MSATs. They show a de minimis amount of uh, temperature increase, and that data gets adjusted twice which that shouldn't happen in science. So all of the data, all of the objective evidence clearly points out there hadn't been global warming. The physics demonstrate that there's a de minimis amount of downwelling heat flux that comes from CO2 absorption of, of uh, 15 micron wavelength photons. And so it's, it's, it's all a, uh, it's, it's the biggest scientific fraud since the Piltdown Man in England in the early 1900s. Wow. I'll just say the name of your book again. We'll include it under the podcast. It's Global Warming, The Great Deception, The Triumph of Dollars and Politics Over Science, and Why You Should Care. So people should check out the website, too. I'll include that as well. What's your website for that book? Because it's pretty awesome. It's www.globalwarmingdeception.com. Ah, okay. Globalwarmingdeception.com. And it strikes me that that would be a good site for people to look at to help educate their children and other people at Christmas party. That's exactly right. Because what I do in the website is I have excerpts of a lot of the exhibits that I just discussed, like temperature graphs of the atmosphere, uh, the exhibits that depict the de minimis change in heat content of the oceans and landmass. And I explain underneath those exhibits uh, in, 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 in summary form what they mean. So a person can go look at those. You can look at the graph on the Antarctic sea ice, sea ice extent and see that it's been stable since 1980 when satellite, the first satellite, uh, observations, observations of both the temperature of the troposphere and the sea ice uh, began in 1980 when NOAA began to launch these satellites that polar circumnavigate the globe. So yeah. this is all hard data, and it proves that all of the claims that have been made with respect to the fraudulent man-made global warming hypothesis are just that, they're fraudulent. Yeah, so that's globalwarmingdeception.com, is that right? Correct. Okay. And, and there's, excuse me, go ahead. Yeah. Is it in layman's language so the average person can understand? Yes, I think so. I, I, as I say in the introduction to my book, I really struggled with the dichotomy of trying to present enough information. First of all, I tried to write it uh, so that a person without a technical education could understand it. And I, I've gone to some lengths in a lot of the chapters to explain the first principles of the sciences that underlie the analysis of the global warming hypothesis. And that's primarily thermodynamics, quantum mechanics, spectroscopy, and atmospheric physics. 
but I, I, I hope I build a base of knowledge up for the reader so they can understand it. And uh, I felt like I needed to provide enough evidence so people could reject the science, because if you can reject the science, then you can reject all of the other claims that uh, we need to be uh, eliminating fossil fuels in favor of alternative energy sources, that we need to eliminate internal combustion engines and only have electric cars, that we need to reconfigure the power grid so we don't have coal-fired power plants. All of those are, are uh, you know, a derivative of the claim of the fraudulent claim of the science. Yeah, yeah, I get kind of tired when conservatives especially start debating whether it's fair for, you know, you know China's not reducing enough or whatever. I mean, Sally Balunas, who used to be at Harvard University, she was an astrophysicist. When people would bring that up with her, she'd say, I'm not even going to talk about it. She says, it doesn't matter. I mean, CO2 is not a threat to the planet. So stop arguing about who's going to re reduce first. And yet the conservatives are constantly focused on, well, we have a technical solution to the climate scare of reducing CO2. But I mean, like it's a we were just talking yesterday about the conservative climate caucus in the House of Representatives. Aren't those people just being useful idiots? Yeah, I'm, you know, I was uh, actually on an interview about a week ago, and, and the host played a recording of Kevin McCarthy giving his sort of a state of the union on climate science and, and, and the position that the Republicans were taking. And I thought to myself, you know, it's amazing to me that even the opposition party to the current administration doesn't have the guts to call a spade a shovel and say, hey, look, this is fraudulent <laughs> science. And the reason yeah. is, is they're afraid of being termed deniers or being termed uh, anti-science. And, and, so, and that's how insidious and powerful this whole so lobby has got. I mean, there are people I feature in my book, for example, Richard Lindzen, who was the 30-year Sloan Professor of Atmospheric Physics at MIT, highly credentialed, uh, uh, well-respected scientist who early on came out and uh, voiced his opposition to this fraudulent hypothesis. And it had been, been, I mean, recently we had a case where John Clauser, the winner of the 2022 Nobel in Physics, uh, came out and said that he did not, but he was did not believe in the global warming hypothesis. And the IMF canceled the presentation he was going to make to them because <laughs> yeah. he took a position contrary to the consensus, if you will. So it's, yeah. it's amazing. So it's political science, not real science. <laughs> well, and you know, I I I, I spent some time with one of the uh, leading scientists who is involved in the field, I'm not going to say his name because I wouldn't want to betray a confidence, but we were talking about the very fact that the, that the science and the facts refute the global warming hypothesis. And he said, you know, guy, today, if you're a scientist and you're trying to submit a research paper to a, uh, an important science trade journal like physics or nature or the environment or some of it, it'll never get past peer review. If you oppose the hypothesis, you're being censored 
in the peer review process, and that publication won't see the light of day. Now, that's how bad it's got. I mean, that's, you know, it would be like if Albert Einstein were scheduled to go to the uh, Institute for Advanced Studies at Princeton and make a presentation on his general theory of relativity, and they canceled him because he modified Newton's uh, linear theory of gravity. I mean, the idea that one can't express factually opposition to any position uh, in the field of science today should concern everybody. Mm. That's for, yeah, sure. for sure. And it's not, and it's not just the politicians uh, and the scientists who are would be like canceled if they didn't speak uh, according to the narrative, but anyone really. And so it's a lot of fear that people were going to be uh, shunned by doing that. Well, you know, one of the problems, and I, <clears throat> I refer to this in my book, Mary Jean, has to do with a quote that uh, Richard Lindzen, uh, who was at MIT, as I said, for 30 years, made, he said, you know, today, a young academic a research scientist who's trying to enter the field unless they uh, endorse the quote-unquote consensus, they either won't get a position in academia or they won't get funding to do research. So that's how bad it's gotten. That's how, the, that's how there's this, uh, I hate to use the word conspiracy because it's been discredited in recent years because of President Trump, but there's a conspiracy against people who would speak out factually with a position that uh, is in opposition to the global warming fraud. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, we also uh, have a lot of impacts on the economy and our standard of limit, living that are happening because of the climate change scare. So what are some impacts that you foresee happening or that are already happening? You know, I think one only has to look at what's happening in Europe today, where the Europeans for about the last 30 years have kowtowed to the Green parties and the echo terrorists and eliminated fossil fuels from the power grid, and they bought cheap gas from Russia. And then when Mr. Putin invaded Ukraine, uh, they embargoed the Russian gas. And of course, then somebody blew up the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which sealed the deal. And now Europeans are facing energy costs that are three times what they were two years ago. And, mm. and, and manufacturing businesses are leaving, leaving Europe in record numbers. All of this with the fact that there are 79 billion metric tons of coal, domestic reserves in the EU, that could be mined and could power power plants, and yet they're struggling to keep uh, uh, homes warm and businesses operating. Mm. You, you know, the thing that kind of amazes me is the climate activists will see people killed. They'll see people die. I, I mean, that's how ruthless they are. You know, it's interesting because... Kelvin Kem, who's a nuclear expert from South Africa, he was saying that he was talking to a number of these um, environmental activists and he told them, he said, you know, if you bring nuclear power into Africa, we can help, you know, millions of Africans have 
refrigeration and will save millions of lives. And the environmentalists said, well, no, the death of those people is necessary to protect the planet. So, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty ruthless. You know, they are literally prepared to see Europe, for example, freeze in the dark uh, rather than get them using their own coal, you know, and, and that also begs the question, I mean, who makes the money? flogging the climate change scare i mean and how do they make it <laughs> well that's a good question and I, I address that to some extent in my book and subsequently as you mentioned uh about my website i i probably have now 15 op-eds that have been published in various media outlets like the american thinker and the western journal and the epic times and i deal with these issues and it's what has happened is the the climate change and trading carbon has become an international commodities market, the largest commodities market in the world. Really? And you have you have large invest global investment firms who are now um, you know marshaling resources and combining the effort to try to uh, manage the investment in uh, green energy projects. I was reading today where the International Energy Agency, uh, which is a, a, a group of about, looks maybe 50 or 60 countries, including the US and Canada and most of the developed nations, uh, are projecting that somewhere around four to five trillion dollars a year beginning in 2026 will be spent to try to reach net zero, which is theoretically. And so can you imagine that that money could be spent on alleviating poverty and disease and improving the standard of living like you talk about in Africa and other developing countries? Yeah, it's really, uh, it's really awful how they're doing that. And the people who are um, also promoting the climate change scare, they're just ignoring that part. Like they, they're choosing to be ignorant, ignorant or just aren't looking into it. And there's a lot of money that's being made. So who's actually making money? Where is this money going to for warming fraud? I think, I think, most of the money is being made by global investment firms that are managing ESG investments at, at present. You know, ESG being environmental, social, and governance. Uh, our pre former Vice President Al Gore and a partner from Goldman Sachs, David Blood, in 2004, <clears throat> formed a company in London named Generation Investment Management. And they basically take funds from people that uh, I think uh, feel guilty about uh, somehow uh, participating in the consumption of fossil fuels, whatever the motivation is, they take that money and they invest it in what they call sustainable energy projects. So you have global investment firms like BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, uh, who are managing these green energy projects. They manage the acquisition of the capital from the public markets and private markets. They package the loans. They 
uh, are involved in, in uh, you know, that the, the execution of the loan, the actually providing the funds to whoever the, the entity is that's borrowing the money to build windmills or to build uh, solar voltaic cells. And then they charge a fee. And so if you're, you know, you can imagine the market if, if it's three or four billion trillion dollars a year and they're getting three percent, that's 120 billion dollars. It's a huge, yeah. huge, huge commodities play. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. We have to go for a break now. We'll be right back with Guy Mitchell. Who's written an incredible book that we're going to list to under under the podcast. The book is called Global Warming, The Great Deception, The Triumph of Dollars in Politics Over Science and Why You Should Care. And after we get back from the break, I'd like to talk to Guy about how governments use the threat of climate change to impose totalitarian control. So can we address that topic, Guy, when we get back? Absolutely. Okay, stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix Rx is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it. Or your money back guaranteed healthycell.com code out loud for 40 years alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe yet none of their dire predictions have come true temperatures have not soared sea level rise has not been unusual and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity in short there is no climate emergency 
For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan. A plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com seven amazing years we know that if america fails the world will fail it is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty america out loud talk radio liberty and justice for all so i'm back along with my host mary jean harris with our guest, Guy Mitchell, who's written a pretty amazing book. We're going to link to the book underneath the podcast. So, Guy, can you tell us how have governments used the threat of climate change to impose totalitarian control over all their citizens? Well, I think probably, Tom, the best example that I can use to demonstrate has to do with uh, Governor Gavin Newsom out in California. Mm -hmm. uh, as you may know, Governor Newsom has sort of positioned himself as a champion of climate change or combating climate change. And that recently, Governor Newsom uh, issued an executive order 
that said that after 2035, that no cars with internal combustion engines could be sold in California. And uh, many of the municipalities in the state have uh, promulgated building standards or codes that prohibit the use of gas-fired hot water heaters, gas furnaces, and uh, anything that uses... When is that? Yeah, when is that coming in? The gas furnaces and stuff? Because I mean, wow, that, that's that, that's been instituted now. There are many yeah. there are many communities in California where you cannot get a permit to build a home that has uh that, that where you plan to install a gas fired hot water heater, for example, or oh. gas. Oh. And so, so they want to run it all on electricity. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yet last summer. They issued, they had rolling blackouts because they uh, had a deficit of supply and demand of electricity in California. And they asked people not to charge their EVs between 4 p.m. and midnight, which is when most people after they come home from work would do it. And they had, uh, you know, asked people to turn up their thermostats and so forth and so on. Interestingly enough, California imports about one third of their electricity from adjacent states. And uh, so they, they uh, and they haven't built any new capacity. Uh, and particularly, obviously they have no fossil fuel capacity. And so they're, they're already the Western grid operator of which California is a part has issued uh, notice that they uh, their customers can expect rolling blackouts because they're now in a deficit of supply versus demand. In fact, if it weren't for hydropower from Canada, we would have had a nationwide blackout this past Christmas. Wow. In, during the winter. Yeah. I mean, we had 1.6 million people in the eastern half of the U.S. who were without power because the, uh, the weather got much colder than was anticipated. And the, the utilities that depended on solar, and obviously the sun sets, at least on the East Coast in the United States, uh, around 6 p.m. Eastern time. Oh, yeah. Um, and the pump storage that normally would help supplement the uh, power generation wasn't available. And so they had to buy power from, uh, uh, from Canada, hydroelectric power. Wow. Well, you know, Jay Lair, who used to be my co-host, Dr. Jay Lair, he unfortunately passed away in January. He used to say that things like that have to happen over and over and over before people will wake up. I mean, are, are you that pessimistic? Unfortunately, that seems to be the case. I wish I could say, you know, I'd love to tell you that that I think that, you know, 50 million Americans and Canadians and my book now sells in, I guess, 12 countries. But I'd like to think, I'd like to tell you that I think that people would read the book and wake up and say, holy smokes, we've got to stop this. This is, this is a serious threat to our way of life and our economy, our standard of living. But unfortunately, I think it takes a wake up call like losing your power when it's either really cold or really hot or not being able to go to your job 
because your employer can't get electric power to operate the manufacturing machinery or to conduct business, I think it's going to take some sort of shock therapy to get people to wake up to the facts. Mm -hmm. And as people wake up, you know, what I encourage people to do is to go to public meetings, go to the town council, actually get to the microphone and ask them these hard questions like, hey, did you see what happened in Texas in February 2021 when up 700 people died, $200 billion in damages because they did what you're trying to do? Like, why do you why do you want to do that? I mean, I think we've got to be a lot braver and really challenge them in public meetings. I couldn't agree more. You know, I was asked that question and I said, you know, the problem, at least with us Americans, maybe in Canada, it's different. But I think we've had it too good for too long. And I think there's a there's a level of lethargy that exists uh, where people are not used to getting involved with elected officials and expressing their opinions. We're, you know, we're beginning to see some of that in the States now with some of the woke ideology that's being promoted by corporations and the, the, uh, you know, the teachers of public school teachers association, they're, they're getting pushback, but people, I think most people are beginning to realize if, if, if you don't express your opinion, then you're not, the, the, the elected officials are not going to respond. Yeah, well, you get what you get. Uh, yeah, yeah. It seems like the government you deserve. <laughs> yeah, and the elected officials, they have to experience all the, the hardships that come from power outages and things like that as well. Um, if they do, perhaps that would cause some change. Yeah, um, it, it strikes me also that we've got to hold them accountable. You know, it's interesting because there's a group here in Canada called Action for Canada. And what they do is they give notices of liability to various political leaders and, you know, bureaucrats to say, look, if this goes south, if this goes really bad, we've warned you and you are personally responsible. So what do you think of that idea of giving them notices of liability? Well, I think I think anything that tries to tries to bring the issue home to where people can identify with it uh, personally is a good thing. You know, I've got a good friend here. I'm in North Carolina who has a large manufacturing business and his business is uh, they get their electric power from Duke power. And they have recently put Duke on notice that if they have a loss of power because an alternative energy uh, generator source like wind or solar fails to perform, and it's well documented uh, that they have a very low capacity factor, that is availability, they're going to sue them. Ah. So I, I think, you know, if you're held captive by utility like we are in the states, you know, in certain states, a lot of states, you only have one supplier of electricity that you can buy from. That's the way the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission set up. So if you're going to be held captive by somebody, if they don't perform, they need to be liable for that lack of performance. Mm, yeah, and, and so there's a school of thought that's evolving there. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I mean, Mary Jean, tell me what you think. You think this should be a left versus right wing issue? I mean, Surely everybody freezes when it's minus 30 with no with no heat. 
Well, I think it should be a science issue. You know, when I speak to groups, the first thing I tell them is, look, the issue of global warming, it's, it's been co-opted by certain U.S. and world politicians for political gain, but it's a science issue. And it should be uh, it should be prosecuted as such, and it should be uh, you know the the decisions should be made based on science and not on politics. And unfortunately, what you have now in uh, in, in in world leaders like Emmanuel Macron, uh, Mr. Trudeau, uh, Angela Merkel, well, she's not in power anymore, but. Of the Biden administration, they're co-opting the issue to try to make political gain out of it. And that's, that's why fair. my subtitle is The Triumph of Dollars in Politics Over Science, because once regulators and politicians start using pseudoscience, which is what this is, it's false science, to pass regulations that can impact your and my personal freedoms, it's a slippery slope. You know, first you start off with the coronavirus, then you go to the global warming, uh, fraudulent global warming hypothesis, which has been termed an existential threat. And now I saw where climate envoy John Kerry said, we're going to have to change our farming practices in the U.S. because, you know, farm animals or their flatulence is creating (laughs) methane and yeah. that's causing glove. And so where does this stop? You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, well, you know, you, you'd be interested to hear that John Clauser, who you mentioned earlier, was the 2022 Nobel Prize winner. He actually was hosted at the White House by Joe Biden. And he told Joe Biden personally that much of the science he was relying on was simply wrong. And Biden got angry, as he's often doing these days. And he said, oh, that's the right wing science, you know? Uh. <laughs> It, there isn't left or right wing science. I mean, it's supposed to be nonpartisan. And, you know, I think both people on the right and the left have got to join together on this because, you know, the left wingers seem to forget that when you actually increase the pr- price of electricity through the roof, it hurts the poor more than anybody. Okay. And similarly, when they're getting their cobalt for the batteries and they're getting it from mines in the Congo controlled by communist China. We see children as young as four years old. So, I mean, it would seem to me, Guy, that this is a social justice issue as well, which the left should be offended by too, don't you think? I do, but interestingly enough, as you might expect, it's been perverted. Now the view is that the the injustice has been uh, foisted on the developing nations who, you know, recently in COP, the Conference of the Parties 27, the climate conference held in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, uh, Antonio Guterres, who's the Secretary General of the UN, said, you know, the developed nations should pay climate reparations to the developing nations on the order of 4 to $6 trillion a year. Oh, man. Yeah, to compensate them for damage done because of climate change. And so now that the the rallying cry is the social injustice that's been done to developing nations because we, the developed nations, have gorged ourselves on fossil fuels for 100 years and now created this 
global warming they're having to contend with, which is obviously not true. Yeah. Well, I guess the point is, if you accept the lie in the foundation of the whole thing, namely that humans are causing dangerous climate change, it leads to a huge amount of unintended consequences. And I mean, you've got to just simply pull the rug out from under them. I mean, conservatives have to have a lot more courage then. Well, it comes back to just that. What's got to happen, someone of some stature on the political stage, other than President, former President Trump, has got to say, this science is phony. It's pseudoscience. There, mm-hmm. there are, well, for starters, the Earth does not have an average temperature. You know, temperature is a measure of, the temperature in your room is a measure of the kinetic energy of the air molecules in your room, the speed at which they bounce around. If it's warmer, they're more energetic. If it's cooler, they're sluggish. And so you cannot calculate, the calculating the average temperature of the earth is a nonsensical exercise. It violates fundamental principles of science. I mean, you might as well calculate the average zip code in the United States to find (laughs) the average, to locate the average city. And so it starts with all these false premises and, 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 and false science. And then you kind of can, then you can kind of take it wherever you want to go. Yeah. Well, just expanding on that a little bit, the, the whole concept that you can average temperature and get a temperature, I mean, to me, that's a little bit like averaging color, okay? It's a property of something. So what are you going to say? What's the average color of a towel at Walmart? You know, like, <laughs> would that be kind of a dirty brown or something? Well, the question doesn't mean anything, okay? Not like height or weight where you can truly average. I mean, these are qualities like viscosity or density, you know? So, I mean, exactly. it doesn't even make sense to keep going on and on and on about the average global temperature. Well, it's it's ridiculous. And when I see somebody like John Kerry or Al Gore or Bill Gates or even President Biden say, well, you know, the average temperature since the industrial age has risen by 1.1 degrees centigrade, and we've got to keep it below 1.5. And uh, on my website, I have one of the pages of my website is is entitled Scientific Research. And I post a, a, a lot of the research that I read that informed my views about global warming in the book. And there's a, there's a uh, paper that was published back in 2007 by three engineers in the Journal of Non-Equilibrium Thermodynamics if you will, that addresses this very issue and points out that the earth has no average temperature. And why why people buy into that, it just, uh, I mean, it the, the there are fundamental flaws with every scientific aspect of this fraudulent global warming hypothesis. It's amazing, really. Yeah. Well, one of the analogies I use is I say, well, let's pretend half of the earth got 10 degrees warmer and half got 10 degrees colder. If you actually calculated the statistical average, which of course doesn't mean anything, but if you did, there would be no change. And yet a pressure gradient and temperature gradients of 20 degrees, my goodness, you know, you'd have terrible tornadoes and hurricanes and everything. And yet there'd be no change in average temperature if you calculated the way they do. Yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is in science, temperature is known as a scalar value. 
And, uh, you know, uh, wind velocity, for example, is a tensor value. You can calculate direction and, and force of wind. You know, it's going to the north at 10 kilometers an hour or whatever the number is. But temperature, again, is a proxy for the kinetic energy of the molecules in a system, whether it's your room or whether it's in an auditorium or whether it's in a pot filled with water that's boiling. And the more thermal energy you give the water, the more it boils and the, the kinetic energy of the water increases. So it, the, the, it, it's the, the, the way that I got, my interest actually is in theoretical physics and, and, and particle physics and the work that's been done at CERN uh, with a Large Hadron Collider. And I kind of got sucked into the vortex of global warming when a friend challenged me to accept the premise that 97% of the world's scientists believe man had caused global warming. And when I read the paper and realized that it was bogus and that they disregarded 66% of the survey that offered no opinion at all, and then took 32% that said they thought man had caused global warming, 1% weren't sure, they added them together, and they divided the 32 by 33 and got 97. Oh. <laughs> and I said, I said, this is the biggest fraud. I, I, and then every aspect of the claims of the man-made global warming proponents proved to be uh, fraudulent. And, and it yeah. was just, I couldn't believe it. And that's why I ended up spending five years researching and writing the book. Yeah, well, thank goodness you did. I just say it again. It's global warming, the great deception the triumph of dollars in politics over science and why you should care. And, you know, it's interesting because one of our scientists was meeting with an environment minister. I shouldn't say his name because <laughs> it was somewhat confidential, but a previous environment minister of Canada. And the scientist was going on and on about, you know, the sun being the major driver of climate change and things like that. And the environment minister was kind of impatient. So he finally said, well, professor so-and-so, you realize that science plays no role on this file. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, yeah. I, you know, I quote in my book, and I'm trying to remember, I'm drawing a blank. Her name was Christine. She was Minister of the Interior. Beg your oh. pardon? Oh, was that uh, Christine? Oh, yeah, I know. It was a liberal minister. It'll come yeah. back. Then, she yeah. was from, I remember the unusual, she was from the writing of Northumberland. Oh, and, okay. And, and, but she said, she said, you know, even if the science is all phony, this will be the greatest opportunity for the world to realize social and economic justice. Right, right. Now, that actually is my last question, and we only have about four minutes to go. This is an important point because people may say, well, what is driving all this? And so my question is, how are governments using the threat of climate change to try to redistribute wealth from the poorer to the richer to the poorer nations. I mean, surely for a lot of people, that's the real driver. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've thought a lot about this. Clearly, from the UN's perspective, uh, it's all about money for research. Over a trillion dollars has been spent on climate research since 1980 with absolutely nothing to show for it. All the models fail backtesting, and they can't predict the future, which you'd expect. So you say, okay, I understand what the UN's all about. What about politicians? 
Well, I've concluded that for politicians, it's about the ability to control the electorate. Now, if you set aside contributions that may be made by green energy firms that are building windmills and solar voltaic cells, which of course occurs, it's there's a power is a narcotic for a politician and the ability to determine what automobile, what kind of an internal combustion, well, what kind of prime mover you have in your automobile, all that kind of stuff. It's a, uh, I think, I think it's the the ability to control the lives of the electorate, and 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 you're seeing it play out, trying to, you know, outlaw gas stoves, trying to require, you know, regenerative electric heat pumps, all this kind of stuff, and and that's what it's all about. And then, of course, for for the globalists, the World Economic Forum, uh, global investment firms, it's all about the money managing these green investments and selling carbon credits. You know, mm-hmm. I you can I, I, I can buy carbon credit from you if you have a forest in Canada and you have 10,000 acres and you get 50,000 carbon credits, I'll pay you $30 uh, for each of those carbon credits and then turn around and sell them to uh, a steel company who can't change their process and wants to reduce their carbon footprint for $100 a ton. Huh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, and you say, well, I didn't reduce my, I mean, I'm still emitting the same amount of carbon. And you say, yeah, but now that you've bought my offsets, those carbon atoms are going to go over to uh, Tom's farm in uh, near Ottawa and be absorbed by pine trees. <laughs> yeah. And of course, CO2 isn't even worth trading in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole thing's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. Yeah. So, uh, what can we as citizens do to curb the threat of government outreach that's uh, under the guise of climate change? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think as we we were we were talking about earlier, I think people have got to begin to speak up, speak out, go to public meetings, challenge their elected officials who would try to, for example, in New York City. Uh, they recently passed a regulation where pizza restaurants could not cook, couldn't heat the pizza oven with coal or natural gas because they, they emit CO2. I mean, people have got to go out and say, look, enough's enough. And, you yeah. know, we're not, we're, we're not going to do this. And, and, if, and if you are elected officials try to hoist this, hoist this on us, we're gonna remove you from office. I mean, I think that's the only. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's gonna come to civil disobedience and uh, political action. Yeah, and it should be left should be. and right it's working a, together because it's a yeah, all freedom in the dark. <laughs> I mean, it's the personal freedom. What I don't understand is like free speech. You know, uh, in the United States, it seems the left wing media. Uh, is trying to uh, curtail free speech and cancel those who would have an opinion that is different from theirs. But mm-hmm. what they don't understand, it's a little bit like Nazism was in Germany. Pretty soon, they'll come for those on the left or the right who mm-hmm. speak out in opposition to the government. And what people need to understand 
is this is a this is a a, a play on the infringement of personal liberties. And it doesn't make any difference if you're in the states, a Republican or a Democrat, you're going to be equally affected. And it, right. once it starts, it's hard to stop. Yeah. And you, and we'll all be freezing in the dark. And, you know, the temperature doesn't care what left or right you are. And you won't be able to, and you won't be able to burn wood in your fireplace because you won't be allowed to emit CO2 from the combustion of that wood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we have to wrap up, unfortunately. That's been fun with my host, Mary Jean Harris, and myself, and Guy Mitchell. He's actually a mechanical engineer who's written an amazing book we'll link to under the podcast. Guy was elected a Distinguished Engineering Fellow by the College of Engineering at the University of Alabama. So people should really listen to him when he talks about us freezing in the dark because we are getting rid of our inexpensive and solid energy sources. You know, this is really, really critical. So this is Tom Harris and Mary Jean Harris signing out from the other side of the story.